Wasn't it great to worship just in song today? I forgot how wonderful it was. You know, you could sit at home and you can listen to worship music. But when I just stopped and listened to all of you, I don't know if you did that, just to hear everybody just praising the Lord. It was so powerful. Touched my heart so much. And then, you know, and, and then the prayers of those men today it was just so powerful. So today, I, you know, God put on my heart. I mean, we just got a call yesterday about what Jeff was struggling, and God just talked to me about second chances. You know, it's, have you ever had one of those dreams <laughs> where you find yourself like in your underwear or no clothes at all out in public? Do you know what I mean? Have you ever had one of those dreams, you know? You know, you're standing there going, oh my gosh, now what am I going to do? You know, I'm exposed. I'm embarrassed. And what do you do? It was funny as I was thinking through this, I remember a good friend of ours, him and his wife, this is true, uh, took, took a trip with another couple. And the one night they're in their hotel, they each had their own room, and he got up in the middle of the night to go to the bathroom. He opened the door he thought was the bathroom, but it was the door to the hallway. And he walked out and, oh, he goes, oh, it's out, you know, he was in the hallway. He turns around with the door closed. <laughs> he was naked. He's in the hallway of a hotel and he's naked. And he's pounding on the door and his wife couldn't wake her up. <laughs> so he goes to his friend's room next door and starts pounding on that. They heard him open the door. He got into there and called his wife on the phone <laughs> from that room. Now that's embarrassing, right? But you know, from time to time, we do this thing called life and feel like we're exposed. You know, a part of us that we try sometimes to keep hidden, you know, we, don't want it, we wouldn't want it to show up on the screen here. You know, that shortcoming, you know, that failure, you know, we, we certainly wouldn't want it exposed and we certainly wouldn't want the world to see it. It could be that maybe, hey, maybe you failed a friend. Or you were playing on a sports team, you know, and you blew this critical play. Maybe your spouse or your child was counting on you to handle something important and, well, you messed it up. Or there was an important decision to be made. You made the wrong one. I think about how many times, as a Christian, I've blown it. You know, I don't know, I say to myself, geez, Paul, <laughs> you know, that wasn't very Christ-like. So I thought the first thing that we all need to understand is that failure, it's a fact of life. So for all of us who have failed or disappointed someone or yourself, I have got a story for you today. And it starts in the book of Mark. And if you have your Bible, certainly you can follow along. It's Mark chapter 14. And I'm going to be reading verses 51 and 52. A young man was following him, that was Jesus, wearing nothing but a linen sheet over his naked body. And they seized him. But he pulled free of the linen sheet and escaped naked. The scriptures say who this young man is. They're not, it doesn't say exactly who he is, but scholars have postulated it's Mark himself. You know, Mark's been called, he's called John Mark and Mark, okay? He's the cousin of Barnabas. All right, and he's also Paul's evangelism partner, Barnabas. Well, this, uh, so I want to set the scene for you. It's midnight, Jerusalem. Everybody's asleep. The Last Supper has just ended, and Judas has left his friends to head into town. 
Jesus and his disciples make their way up to the Garden of Gethsemane, where Jesus asked three of the 11 disciples present with him, go a little bit further with him into the garden and watch, you know the story, watch him pray with him. Time passes, his friends fall asleep, then all of a sudden, the quiet of the evening is broken with sounds of loud voices and clanking of armor, and there's people carrying torches, and there's Pharisees all looming around. And oh yes, and there's Judas Iscariot, the traitor. He's led the group to take Jesus away. A scuffle breaks out, and Jesus' followers in the mob, you know, and they're all going at it, but it's quickly diffused by Jesus himself. While all this is taking place, there's someone hiding in the bushes, way back in the shadows of the trees here in the garden. It's John Mark. John Mark watches as Jesus is taken captive, and he's led off towards the city. It's thought that Mark wasn't part of the Passover meal, but was camping with his family up in the hillsides in the area. Another, some other scholars think that actually the Passover was held actually at Mark's mom's home. Okay, and that's how Mark knew what was going on. But either way, it looks like he's watching from a bush. He's hiding. Now, a couple soldiers apparently spot him hiding there, and they grab a hold of him. Okay, and next, you know, he's twisting and he's turning. He's trying to get away, and they pull off his cloak, and of course, he runs away naked. Okay, and that's our, this is our story this morning. If Mark had merely had the courage to be taken prisoner, he might have been able to stand with Jesus in his hour of trial. Just by his very presence, right, he could have brought Jesus encouragement and brought him some strength, but he didn't. But that night, he was, when he was confronted with that opportunity, he failed. I mean, he failed his friend. He fled naked, stripped, only, stripped not only of his garments, but of his self-respect and his honor. But it's not the end of the story for Mark. And I want to switch lanes with all of you for just a moment. I ran across a story about a man who bought a home, and in his backyard was his tree. It was wintertime. Nothing seemed anything special about the tree, just an ordinary tree. Well, spring came, and these beautiful pink buds, flowers, start blossoming all over the tree. Man, and the man thought to himself, this is great. I got a blossoming tree in my backyard. Well, a few nights later, a heavy wind comes. And you know what happens, right? Blows all the flowers and scatters them all over his yard. And the man thought to himself, this is a terrible tree. You know, it's terrible. Well, it's not the end of the story for the tree. Just like it isn't the end of the story for Mark. Because you see, our story with Mark picks up 15 years later after his act of cowardness in the Garden of Gethsemane. Now it's springtime. It's the harbor of Seleucia. And in the harbor, there's a small boat. And on that small boat stand three men. Three men nobody really notices. Yet these three men are setting off on one of the most memorable journeys in all of history, the beginning of the Christian missions, taking the message to the whole world. 
Their first stop is the Cyprus preaching and then teaching all about Jesus. After they finish in Cyprus, they take a ship and they go to Perga on the southern shore of Asia Minor. There, just as they were about to head up into the high country where all the thieves and the robbers are, this is how the story goes. Acts 13, 13. Now Paul and his companions put out to sea from Paphos and came to Perga in, in Pamphylia, but John left them and returned to Jerusalem. Mark turns his back again. He turns back and he leaves them. And from Paul's writings, he's not real happy. He's not happy at all. They are getting into some dangerous territories, okay, with robbers and thieves, and Mark turns his back. Imagine how, you would, imagine how you would feel about Mark if you were Paul. You know, you thought to yourself, yeah, I heard about this guy flaking out years ago, but again? So I got a question for all of you. Have you ever had someone leave you in a critical time? Ever have someone promise to come through for you? I'll be there. Don't worry, I'll be there. And didn't. Well, you have an idea on how Paul's feeling. Apparently, Mark's courage had failed him again at a time of danger when the elderly Barnabas and Paul could have certainly used him to help do ministry where they were heading. And all through the mountain passes, they really could have used him. But John Mark failed in his first trial in the garden, and he fell and he fell again in his second trial. He had a great opportunity to stand with Barnabas, to stand by Paul as he went through Asia Minor on this journey, but he backed out. So when Paul and Barnabas are getting ready to head out on another journey, do you think Paul wants them to come? He said, no way. Paul branded Mark, really, he's, look, at, he's, he's a deserter. He's, there's no way I'm going to take this guy. But Barnabas, you might know the story, wants to bring him. Paul and him argue about it. Paul finally said, you know what? If you want them that bad, you take them, okay? I don't want to. I'm going to go a different direction. And that's exactly what happened. I'll read it to you real quick, Acts 15. After some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let's return and visit the brothers and sisters in every city in which we proclaim the word of the Lord. And let's just see how they're doing. Well, Barnabas wanted to bring John, called Mark, along with them. But Paul was of the opinion that they should not take along with them this man who had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to do the work. Now it turned into such a sharp disagreement that they separated from one another. And Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and left after being entrusted by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. That's the last time that we see Mark for some time. Can I tell you, men... Well, forgive almost anything. But men are usually pretty hesitant when it comes to cowardice. And that's apparently what Mark had been made known. Not fit to go on any type of dangerous mission. But you see, this is not the whole story of Mark. Not by a long shot. Just as it wasn't the whole story that I'm talking to you about, about the tree in the backyard. As you see, the correlation of the two. Because you see, the spring winds came and blew the blossoms away, remember? Summer passed, and then one day the owner of the home looked out in his backyard, and he noticed these large growths on the tree, about the size of a walnut. And they were green. He goes, oh my goodness, what's this? 
So he went out and he took one off the tree. He took a bite out of it. And, oh my gosh, this is terrible. It's bitter. It's awful. And he threw it on the ground. He says, when winter comes, I'm cutting this tree down. It's not the end of the story for the tree. It's not the end of the story for Mark. Ten more years pass. Where's Mark now? Was he totally discouraged by his failure? Was he resentful because Paul was so inflexible with him, not wanting to have anything to do with him? Well, the answer is found in 1 Peter, chapter 5. Peter says, She who is in Babylon, chosen together with you, send you greetings, and so does my son, Mark. That tells you what happened to Mark. That failure, the quitter, the coward, Mark's been given another chance. You see, Peter knew the sting of failure. If you know the story of Peter, he knew what it meant. He knew what it was to run naked, exposed to the world that everybody could see. He denied he, even, he denied he ever knew Jesus when faced with the possibility of someone grabbing a hold of him. It's no wonder, I thought, it's no wonder Peter took an interest in Mark. Peter could sympathize, embrace. He could support Mark. Do you remember what Jesus did for Peter shortly after Peter turned his back to him? Jesus turns to Peter and says, go and feed my sheep. On this rock, I will build my church. So Mark's given another opportunity. You see, it's a lot what we've been talking a lot about today. It's about mercy. It's about kindness. It's about forgiveness. It's about the life-changing power of Jesus Christ in each and every one of our lives. You see, the, the, you see this is really a story of all of us. So what about Paul, who wanted nothing more to do with Mark? Well, our story picks up in a dark, damp prison cell. It's near the end of Paul's life, and he writes a letter to Timothy, probably through the hands of Luke. Paul requests three people to be with him. Well, he has Luke, and he'll have Timothy. But who's the third person that he wants? You know, is, is it Ephrodites? Is it Titus? Who's this other friend? Well, this man whom he desired to have with him at his last hour is found in 2 Timothy 4. He writes, only Luke is with me. Take along Mark and bring him with you, for he's useful to me. In service. In the last hour before Paul is beheaded, he wants Mark. Okay, we go, Mark, who fled naked when he could have stand there and been able to help Jesus. Mark, who left Paul and left Barnabas to climb along the rugged mountains and face mobs in Antioch. He wants Mark, the quitter. Why? He said, because he's useful to me in ministry. See, this is a story for all of us because it tells us, and I want you don't to miss this, it takes more than one defeat to make a failure. Listen to me. It takes more than one defeat to make a failure. Did you know there was a young captain in the regular army in the Oregon Territory in 1854, and he had fallen into some bad habits. I'm read the story here. He missed his wife and baby back in Missouri. He was the quartermaster. He was the paymaster. On the day he was supposed to distribute the pay, he was drunk. His superior officer said, all right, you got two options. One is to resign your commission, and the other is to go before a court-martial. He resigned. The young captain, after having resigned his commission, went to New York and became penniless. 
10 years now. Now it's 1864. An army officer steps into the Willard Hotel in Washington. He's holding a small boy by the hand. Rather indifferently, the clerk, you know, spins the register around. You know, back in the day, you used to sign in at a hotel and hand him your credit card. And he signs and he spins it back to the clerk, and the clerk's astonished. On the register, it's written, Ulysses S. Grant and Son. Ten years before, dismissed from the Army for intoxication, he is now a lieutenant general and supreme commander of the armies of the Union. You know, some people, when they face criticism of their weaknesses and in their failures, and are kind of dragged over the coals, kind of like what Paul did to Mark, they become full of bitterness and resentment. But with Mark, it was the reverse. Instead of being angry with Paul, instead of abandoning the purposes and ways of God, see, don't miss this. He sees the fault within himself, not with God or God's people. You're catching this? He doesn't see the fault with those. No, no, he sees the fault within himself. Don't we have this tendency to blame others? You know, you know that never would have happened, you know, if I, if I would have known that situation before I went in it. Wait, wait, wait. I acted that way because didn't you know that this, this took place? See, they're always pointing fingers at somebody else. But no, no, no. Mark didn't do that. He saw the fault within himself. But here's the, something that's so important. We've been talking about unity to attain into the church. He didn't do it alone. He had the help of his friends, just like we need the help of our friends. And that can make the, all the difference in the world. To have someone alongside you, support you in your failure. Peter was the one who did that for Mark. He came alongside him. Do you know what's so wonderful about this story of Mark and about his failures and about the regaining of his dignity in life? Look, at it's not because Mark's determination. I'm hoping you're hearing this here. It's not his resolve. Okay, it's not sympathy and kindness that Peter gave. It's neither one of it. It's not the forgiveness to buy Paul. Don't miss this. What's most important here is the love and the grace of God and given in Jesus Christ for you and for me. This is what it's all about. A second chances, third chances, hundred chances. How many times have we tripped and fell? But because of the love and the grace and the mercy of Jesus, no matter how many times we've let him down. How many times? It's continually to forgive us and love on us. And he actually strengthens us, brings people around us to encourage us. The story of Mark's all about coming alongside, even at your worst failures. Remember the story of Mark. I want you, and I want you to take heart and take hope. This is really important. Take heart and take hope. Lift up your hearts because that deserter, the quitter, the coward, probably one of the worst failures on scripture's pages of history is left in the light of Paul when he says, take Mark and bring it with you. He's useful to me. I share the story of Mark to say this to all of you. As long as as there is the grace of God in Jesus Christ, don't write off your Christian brothers or sisters. I don't know who this is all for today and why God has given this to drive this home, but I'm going to say that again. As long as there is that grace of God in Jesus Christ, don't write off your Christian brothers and sisters. Don't do it. Well, that's the end of the story with Mark. But we still have the story of the tree to finish. You know, that man wanted to cut that tree down. But that tree did, took little notice of him. 
It continued to draw water from the ground. It continued to grab the warmth of the sun. And in late fall, that tree produced crisp red apples. This is what I want you to catch. Some of us see Christians with their early pink blossoms and think they should be that way forever. Or we see a nut-sized green apples of bitterness in their lives, and we're sure they're never going to bear any fruit. Could it be that we forgot that some of the best fruit is yet to come? Don't miss this. We've been talking about it all morning through prayer and worship. Some of the best fruit is still to come in our lives and in the life of this church. Some of the best fruit is yet to come in your and my life and in the life of this church. Hey, look, we got some blossoms blowing around. <laughs> okay? We got some fruit. Well, it's, it's not quite ripe. But some of the best fruit, my friends, is yet to come. That's the cycle of growth. When we encounter those moments in life that you grab a hold of someone's garment and they start to twist and they turn on you and they panic and they run away naked and you're standing there holding their garment in your hands, you're holding their garment of failure, you're holding their garment of disappointment, their stained garment of sin, remember, don't write them off too soon. It might not be the end of their story. Don't write them off too soon. Jesus Christ, I know you know this, but I'm going to make sure you know it. You know, he's in the life-changing business. He's in the reclothing business. He's the ultimate tailor. Believe me, I know. I've been in a John Mark situation. I've been there. I was exposed, faced to who I truly was. But I've been reclothed. Because of his grace and because of his mercy. And it's my life mission to get that word out. We don't care where you came from. We don't care what you've done. You can be reclothed. Churches, the red door is all about grace and mercy. That's the whole reason we exist. So friends, family, as I close here with this final statement, it's a question for you. Have you ever been caught naked? Your discrepancies exposed. If you have, join the crowd. It might not be the end of your story. So Father, we thank you for this tremendous day. Father, we thank you for your love and your mercy and your forgiveness in each and every one of our lives. We thank you for the, ever, for the empowering of the Holy Spirit among each and every one of us that you're molding us and you're grooming us to, to ultimately be the ultimate purpose you have created for us in this world. Father, thank you and help us to remind us to never criticize our brothers and sisters, but to come alongside them, love on them, and encourage them. And all of God's people said... Amen. Amen and amen. We're going to take a, a few moments here and we're going to have communion. You should have all got one of those little, I don't know what you call them, little chalices, right? Um, 
So what I would love you to do, I mean, obviously you can see you flip it over on one side, you pull the bread out. Flip it over on the other side, you do the juice, okay? You know, as I was thinking back over these last, I don't know, we go everywhere from 14 to 16 months. As I was recapping, I'm thinking about as preparing for communion, the lockdowns, the face masks, the political climate, the racial unrest, the vaccine, take it, don't take it, you know, the whole thing. Life in the Zoom world, all right? Everything that we've all been going through, all the business failures, everything that's been going on. A lot of us have some good reasons to be anxious and to be stressed out. Through it all, God spoke to us, though, through his word. And there's one that I held on to, and I'm going to take that and walk us into communion. And it's a word that's so strong and powerful today. It's Philippians 4. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and pleading, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. As we prepare what we're going to take of this, Jesus came. As a matter of fact, Jesus told us in John 16, these things I have spoken to you so that in me you may have peace. In this world, you're going to have tribulation. This is what Jesus, but take courage. I've overcome the world. This is what this is all about. The ultimate sacrifice. I've overcome the world. I've done it for you. I've done it for me. He's done it for me. He's done it for you. He said, look it, don't be anxious. I, I got this, <laughs> okay? But it, it, it was, it's, it's a lot easier to say, right, than, than to do. But when you understand who he is and whose kids each and every one of us are and the unbelievable ultimate sacrifice that he did for each and every one of us, hang on to that. So before we partake in these elements, you know, the apostle Paul warned us. He said this. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But a man must examine himself. In so doing, he is to eat of the bread and then drink of the cup. So what I love us all to do right now is just to take a moment. Anything that we need to repent of, anything that the Lord may have spoken to you today through the prayers that were given, through the worship video, through the message that he has prepared, let's just take a moment of silence and take that to him before we partake. Jesus, uh, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread. You know, we have a loaf of bread, and that represents, again, what we were talking about today, unity. He took from one loaf, broke off, and gave it around. But he took the bread, he gave thanks for it, and he broke it and said, this is my body, which is going to be broken for you, and 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 for me. Do this always and remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. <laughs>